Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thanks for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. Beautiful, sunny day here in Jacksonville, Florida. It's been strange ever since Hurricane Ian. Our bars are very different. And Brian Finch, for the world, Brian was just down in Central Florida yesterday. Said the same thing down there. All of our bars, all of Florida was drastically changed by the amount of power water moving from that storm. We lost, I mean, I said it before, about half of our dunes, and now our trough is super deep and long. It's like about 100 meters out is where our bar is here out back, and it's a little bit deep. So where before Epic Days started around you know, 1.8 at 7 seconds, now you need a solid like 3 feet for it to break. And I'm hoping that they build back up. The good news is, though, that some of the other spots have gotten incredibly good. It just means that it's a drive. So still on fire. And actually, those spots have gotten insanely good. So it's just a little bit more travel. Um, Just got a jet ski. I've wanted one for about the last year, year and a half. And we just don't have space. We live in a townhouse pretty close to the beach. We sacrificed space for proximity. And there's just not enough room. And then a good friend of mine, somebody I've known for, I don't know, 15 years, um, really good watermen lived in Costa Rica while we were down there um, moved from the tropics to the mountains backcountry snowboarding for the last few years decided to settle full-time in Florida he was you know going back and forth between Florida and Park City and he's like seeing what we're doing out there he's like yeah this this is it it's like I'm going full full on into foiling and so uh, he's like I'm thinking about getting a ski I was like dude let's partner and so we've partnered on a ski. We've got it at a high and dry right by the inlet where our favorite spot is. It's about a 10 minute run out to the favorite spot. And it's gonna be an epic winter and summer. Uh, this year is gonna be insane. We were out, out on it for the first time yesterday. And so, yeah, it's interesting what a ski does for you. Like, it's interesting what going into your runs without being already up on cardio does for you you're able to focus so much more on what you're trying to accomplish and i probably had you know 10 two minute runs yesterday and each one i was able to incrementally make small changes to style and technique where that that would have accomplished about a week i think in prone because by the time i'm connecting prone heart rate's already up it's harder to stay focused um there's no scarcity on the run. And yeah, heart rate was about 20, 30 beats per minute lower on those runs than on runs uh, prone. So really excited to see where that goes. Some interesting things coming up. Brian and I have decided to start doing some more local camps here. And the first one that we are going to do will be, I think it's the 19th and 20th, 21st of November. Let me check those dates real quick. It is the, sorry, the 18th, 19th, and 20th of November. So if you want to come to Jacksonville and learn 
foiling from both Brian of Foil the World and I. Reach out to either one of us on Instagram. Uh, it's probably the easiest way through uh, just send us a DM uh, and let us know that you're interested in coming down. We'll probably cap it at four to six people, pretty small. And tides are great for that week. We've got really good options at some of the spots I was talking about that are, are really good right now. So we will be sending it and we'll have everything will be videoed. We'll do video breakdown and might get the ski out there depending on the days and caliber of folks coming down, um, do some whips. So should be fun. And in portal news, everything is sold right now, but we do have more inventory coming in uh, in the next about week and a half. And feedback has just been incredible from the boards that are are out there now. We've had um, a bunch of boards going out and, and everybody's stoked. So, you know, uh, that's it just makes us feel good. And, and I know the construction's amazing because it's Pedago construction and people are digging the designs. So thank you guys for the support. And if you're interested in boards, reach out. Um, the boards that are coming in right now are the Transmedium in 17 wide. It's a 4.5 in 17, 19, and 21 wide. The 21 wide, I think, is going to be a really interesting shape because the form factor will still fit in the pocket because of the length, but you're getting 40 liters out of a 4.5. So, and the touch points, because of the way the board is shaped, it'll, it'll surf like a smaller board. It'll surf like a 19. So I think that that for certain folks is going to be very well received and I'm excited to share it. Uh, today's guest on the show is Josh Koo. Uh, Josh is, if you don't follow him on Instagram, search him out, find him, follow him, because he is an absolute madman, um, world-renowned big wave surfer who has now turned all of his focus to foiling. And if you see some of the pictures, I mean, he had one of the waves of the winter last year at the Cape, just an insane insane wave uh his tow partner is jeremy ocean pixels on instagram who was on the show recently and you've seen what you know jeremy is doing and josh is sending it just as hard as jeremy uh he's also become quite adept at downwind and he uh inspirational like very good dude i really enjoyed our conversation um learning from josh and uh, I think that you guys will as well. So give him a follow on IG if you don't, and let us know how you like the conversation. Yeah, I, I like I like feedback. So if there's anything you guys are hearing or you want to hear more of or guests you'd like me to have on the show, hit me up. Let me know. Um, got some exciting interviews coming up, I think. I don't want to say anything about them yet just because you never know. People are busy, but some cool stuff happening in the near future. And as always, I appreciate all of the support. Josh, thanks for coming on the show, man. How you, how no you... dramas at all. It's been, um, I've been looking really forward to it. Um, I'm stoked. And you know, what's really cool. We've been talking about, we've been talking for a long time online, foil just chat, normal foil chat. But then you found yourself in Fiji and my best friend, kid I grew up with, like we've been friends for forever. Um, 
was out there at the same time. And so you got to hang out with Andrew and teach him some stuff on the foil. I was just so stoked that that got to happen. A little bit jealous. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize how close you guys were. Like when, um, when you reached out and go, yeah, my buddy's over there. And then, um, when I got to speak to Andrew and he was telling me how like you guys had done everything together, he got you to, um, down to, is it Nicaragua? Where were you? Yeah. Costa Rica and like a business venture together and, how like yeah he he was with you with when your when your missus um had her injury and like just like he sounds like he's been through thick and thin with you and it was just yeah super interesting to hear well the report was that you're an absolute madman <laughs> came back from that trip how like i guess you guys got some big days at, at cloud break and yeah we got lucky that 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 week that Andrew was there was, um, yeah, pretty magic. Like we had some big surf, we had some wind, and then we also had some really cool, like small glassy days for the foils. So we had like the full, yeah, the full rundown for Nemote too, which was really cool. So epic, man. So there's so much I want to dive into, but I always like to, especially on your first episode on the show, get a lot of background so you can catch us up to when foiling entered your life, but the path that led you there. So why don't you start with that? And then, and then we can dive deep on a whole bunch of other cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've actually got a funny expression that a friend of mine over here told me about was, um, I was for sure a closet foiler for a little bit. Um, I come from (laughs) like (laughs) a surfing background where I had that ego and I, like when I seen foiling first come on the scene, I wasn't like, yeah, I seen like the Kai Lenny stuff over in Fiji where I was like, well, that is incredible. Um, but I still had that like kind of chip, chip on my shoulder where I was like, oh, I don't know. It kind of looks like sub surfing. Like, um, it's not that cool or whatever, but, um, I had like a couple of my best friends who were doing it already, Perth Standwick and Jeremy Wilmot. And like, they were the only guys in Sydney who were doing it. And, um, like they were both just doing their own thing. They didn't care if it was cool or not, or, um, how they looked. They were just like, like all of us, like just having a ball. And, um, my fiance, uh, at the time she wasn't my fiance. She, she, um, she was living with Perth and his girlfriend. And, um, he was always just like, had the foil out telling me about his like suck downwind adventures. And I was like, Oh yeah, cool, cool. And then, um, and then we finally did like a little camping trip together where we had a ski and he put me on the back of the ski and was teaching me how to get up. And by the end of the weekend, he was towing me into little waves and I was like, Holy shit, this is fucking, this is where it's at. So, um, I was quite lucky. Like I already had a jet ski, so I had half the tools to, to get good fast, but I didn't have a foil. I was still a bit hesitant, just like, you know, with all of us, when we start the, the price to get into foiling is enough to scare you off. So I had another buddy, Maddie B who had already, you know, threw down on axis gear and uh, a JS little blackboard and, he didn't have a ski though. And he was like full, like beginner like me. And I was like, well, I've got the ski, you got the board and the setup. Let's just go. So then we did that for like 
a good two months straight where we were like progressing, you know, at a good level because with the ski, it just helps you get good 10 times faster than trying to paddle out of the beach and try and stand up. So I kind of did my foiling adventure maybe i wouldn't say the wrong way around but not the normal progression i um got really good at towing in but i couldn't paddle and stand up to save my life um it was really odd because uh when i finally did buy a setup off a friend a secondhand cloud nine gear um i took it down to maroubra beach my local and um I was just watching like by that stage, there was maybe five of us who all bought boards and Jeremy was like already fully doing it, like doing like three for ones. And we were like losing our mind. And, um, and yeah, like I just, I just couldn't get the paddle thing. And I was doing my head in, like I was kind of kicking off the back of waves and trying to, to uh connect up to the next and i just couldn't do it and like just went down the rabbit hole of like okay i need to buy the best gear i need to i need to have my best shot at trying to get good at this and um i think i had a couple toe sessions with jeremy and he was on axis and he wasn't sponsored by them at, the, at that point and um but he was riding the 980 um the hps 980 and i think i had a tote like we were towing on the 980 back then that's how old school it was um he gave me a session at that and i think in that like tow session that i did over at a outside reef um i maybe got like a two for one or a three for one and i was like oh my god jeremy write down exactly what this setup is and i'm going to the shop and buying it so (laughs) i um I, at that point I had a, a JS black Eagle, a full prototype that I bought off, um, Dylan Henry. He's like a, a, um, a rep here for GoFoil and, um, and Kalama. And at that stage, I don't think he was repping or anything. He just had like a bit of gear and he somehow had a prototype black Eagle. So I got that for $400. It was the best bargain ever. Um, and then, yeah, I went to the shop and bought like an access setup, which I had no idea what I was buying. I just had like this, uh, pen and paper scribbled down stuff that Jeremy wrote saying like 980 front wing four sixty tail wing. And I just gave it to the guy in the shop and I go, I have no idea what this is, but this is what I got told I need to get. And, um, and yeah, I got the setup didn't know how to put it together. I drove to Jeremy's house and got him to put the doodad into the mask plate into the, all that stuff. And, um, and then from there, uh, access is what helped me finally put the pieces together and, um, kind of understand what the hell was going on under my feet. Cause before that I just bought my mates old secondhand cloud nine setup and just was just like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of flying here. But then like started playing around with moving the mask forward, moving it back, understanding kind of what a longer fuse does. Um, yeah, that was kind of my entry into, into foiling. So if you go back to that first flight and you said it captivated you right away, mm-hmm. 
you think it was? I mean, if we look at your surfing history, I mean, you send it as hard as almost anyone on the planet. And that is a high bar to compete with if you're thinking about other board sports. Why do you think foiling grabbed your attention? Um, okay, to paint a picture here, what we were foiling as well that day was kind of knee to chest high. Um, it was glassy and it was just like a little beachy with no one on it. It was just like a little sandbank. And I think what captivated me the most was the speed. And I'm not like a, well, you're, gonna, you're probably going to laugh at this, but I'm not like a crazy adrenaline junkie. Like, you know, I don't need to, I'm actually terrified of heights and like, um, you know, scared of watching scary movies and all that stuff. So I'm not like a crazy madman or whatever, but like, I think just the speed and the glide that you get when you're going, when you're flying above the water and like how it's just like kind of, it's soundless. It just feels like you're levitating. And I think when that all came together and then I finally connected it on, I got towed onto a wave and let go of the rope and I was just flying. I think that's what was really like, kind of my turning point where I was like, holy shit, this is, this is where it's at. I'm still thinking about it. I didn't hear the last minute of what you said, because I just can't understand how you are not an, an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> I broke my brain there when you're sending into such insanely heavy waves. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. Like I, I really, I find it a little bit tricky explaining it to people because like, like I even have a memory of here back like 10 years ago in America. And I had like all my friends who went to a theme park and I was shitting myself to go on the most baby roller coaster. And like, I don't know where this fear comes from. Like, it's also really strange. I'm a roofer by trade, but I'm scared of heights. But the thing is like, I'm very comfortable on like a one to two story roof, but get me on like, uh, a hotel like a skyscraper and look over the balcony i'm terrified like i can barely look over that thing um yeah it's 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 i i really don't know where this fear comes from and like i um i think what i've kind of boiled it down to is that i'm a little bit of like a con i wouldn't say a control freak but I'm not scared when I'm in control. When, when things are out of my uh, like control limit, like say when I'm on a roller coaster and I'm just strapped in and I have full faith in what this, this thing is going to do, that's when I'm terrified. But if I know my equipment, know my environment, know my skill level, the fear is taken away a bit. Is is there an inflection point in the ocean where things can get out of control and then you find yourself in a different fear state? 100%. I, I remember um, a session. Uh, it was my first session out this wave back home called Wedding Cake. You've probably seen it. Like, uh, you know, the photos that Jeremy got on that huge left-hander where he's towing in on foil. Mm -hmm. um, like we started off paddling those waves on like, you know, eight to 10 foot guns. 
And I remember my first session that I had there, I, um, it was huge. I, I'd never surfed there before, so I didn't know how big the scale got. But like afterwards, when we came in, Jeremy told me that's like as big as it gets. Um, it was kind of, it was wild. It was, it was windy. It was like fully XXL. And um, I paddled out everyone who we, so to put things in the scale where you jump off the rocks, you're jumping into this bay where there's no rip or current. It's probably pretty similar to, not that I've been to Jaws, but you know when they paddle off the beach and there's just all those boulders and you're paddling straight into like a six-foot closeout? Yeah. It's, it's pretty much that. So what you do, you try time it uh, for a lull in between sets, but that day was just so wild. Like I'm talking it was, it's so hard to call how big it was, but like for me, like it was when I'm looking at those waves, they were the biggest waves I've ever seen in the ocean. And like, I've traveled around the world and, you know, going to Puerto Escondido, going to big cloud break. And these waves like back home were the biggest mountains I've ever seen. Like this wave's not top to bottom, like full barrel or whatever, but like just the, the amount of volume in the waves was incredible. And like, you know, got really lucky, like jumped off the rocks with a few friends and, you know, we all punched it out, just got through, um, this like big six foot kind of closeout onto dry rocks. And then what was happening is that this Island, it's maybe like, uh, it's maybe kind of 300 meters off the more probably, sorry, four or 500 meters off the, the headland of the coastline. And water gets funneled through that gap between the island and the point. So there's like extreme current that's pulling through there. And I got really lucky and because I was scared, I paddled super wide, not anticipating that there was a current through there, but all my friends kind of just paddled straight line to where the wave was. But then they got sucked through that gap and got taken down kind of into the impact zone and got pushed the whole way down to the beach. I got really lucky and paddled out super wide. And then I think after a little bit, I anticipated, I was like, okay, there's a bit of current here. I'm going to keep paddling wide. I'm not just going to paddle to where the wave was. And I got to the wave and of course the crazy madman, Jeremy, he was already out the back, like probably already got like 10 waves and like done laps around the Island, just paddling around like a waterman. And, um, I, by the time got out the back, um, this big set came and I looked at it and I was just like, holy shit, I'm not going to get over this thing. I um, paddled like to the horizon, to the shoulder as fast as I could. I just got over the first one and like, you know, your board slaps and comes back down and the offshore breeze is like kind of making mist everywhere and you can't even see. Whenever that happens, I just keep paddling. I don't even wait for like the mist to clear. I just paddle, keep paddling for the horizon. And I um, kept going. And then like the next one was even bigger and I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to just like, you know, snap my board and wear this on the head before I even get away. And, um, I was paddling, paddling, paddling. And then like kind of got like maybe to the base of the wave and was like, Holy shit, I'm in like the right spot here. So I whipped the board around and, um, literally like, it's so hard to explain this without kind of showing you the photo or the video. Maybe I'll show it to you afterwards. It's going to laugh. 
And um, I whipped the board around and I literally, I didn't even like paddle extremely hard. I think because I was just such in the right spot at that moment. I just had like this downward force and I took off and I swear the bumps that were in that wave were at least like three foot big. And I'm just going boom, 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 like just going so, so fast down this wave and taking like, you know, I've got this like really kind of low style when I'm um, surfing. I like try to keep my center, center of balance really low. And um, I'm just going down this wave, going a million miles an hour. And there's just wind going everywhere. It's like a you know, storm black day. And then I finally get to the bottom, do this like slow bottom turn. I'll look up and it's just a full on fucking close out. <laughs> I just brace for brace for it and like but the thing is it's like that wave it's like an outer bomby type thing so like once you kind of make the drop you're out of the full heavy impact zone so I was just stoked I made the drop got down it looked up just seeing the whole thing closing out but like I was just stoked I made it braced for the the wipeout got absolutely smoked got like pushed so far in but like was just stoked I made that wave and then came up, see my board, my brand new eight foot board snapped in half. And I was like, fuck, but I at least had like, you know, maybe three foot of board to still paddle in. <laughs> so I was riding my little three foot snap board, you know, boogie board style, like the whole way into the beach and like paddling cause it's pretty far out and then got to the shore and then heard on the, cause everyone watches there. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's like an amphitheater, like all the um, people along the coastline are watching. And um, I hear from like Chinese whispers that Jeremy and three other kids got stuck in that crazy current, but then got sent like uh, three beaches North and they could not get in like, because like there was just, I don't know, like 20, 25 foot waves, like hitting the coastline. It was insane. And then Jeremy, the madman, somehow, I don't know, he, he got in somehow. Like it was just insane. And these other kids had to get rescued by a boat or something. And um, yeah, that was, uh, I don't know how I got kind of steered into that story of surfing that way. Well, we're talking about fear, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was kind of my, first like moment where after I came in from there and heard that story of Jeremy and the kids getting swept down the coast, um, I was like, I'm not going out that wave again, unless there's support, like safety support, like a jet ski. Cause that was proper dangerous. Like if, if someone got hurt or if like, you know, those people who I paddled out with initially got washed into the rock, like I couldn't, I couldn't help them. I don't know where, like the playing field is so big or if like, say, you know, I fell on the takeoff of that wave that I took and hit my board on my head. Like by the time someone called safety and say a helicopter came or a jet ski got sent from another beach to come get me, I'd be dead hundred percent. Like the only reason that those kids got um, saved and Jeremy somehow got in was because um, they didn't panic and they they just they paddled out instead of trying to come in, like so they were just miles out to sea. But um, yeah, that was that was definitely a moment where I was like, you know what, this is 
like it was fun and I was stoked. Like I was really stoked I got that wave. But um, I was like, that was borderline just stupid. And then I think afterwards Jeremy was like, that's kind of, that's the biggest I've ever seen it. And that was probably the most gnarliest because the conditions were just so raw. Just was just like full open ocean throwing everything it's got at us. So it was like, yeah, a bit of like a a wake-up call to be like, you know, this is like it's all fun and games and having your gear prepared and stuff, but there's there needs to be things put in place and, you know, you talk to the authorities and organise our own safety skis if they're not going to do the safety for us. And, um, yeah, yeah. So you've done a good amount of towing both in – big wave surfing and now in foiling let's talk water safety a little bit let's talk about the setup that you're running the things that you have in place for safety you know i mean i guess when you're thinking about risk reward of doing the things you do preparation goes a long way to kind of maybe making that a worthwhile trade um how do you think that through and how do you prepare i think where i first kind of um like that altercation definitely woke me up to it but um i i i think i just i I maybe just looked at myself and i go this is me like this isn't just like a phase like i've been doing this since i was 16 like always wanting to push myself in bigger stuff and and like there's like you can be as prepared and as safe as you want, but like, look at the best of the best guys. Like they still have like full near death drownings and like those guys are fully prepared. They have everything in check. So I think there needs to, um, it was just like, yeah, a moment where I was like, this is, I'm not going to change. Like this isn't built in me now. So like, if you want to be responsible to your loved ones and your family, like keep doing this, but like be, be trained and prepared in your first aid. Um, I recently did uh, last year, I did the the brag course that's put on by a couple of the, the big wave surfers over here in America. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh <laughs> they're some of the best watermen in the world and they kind of do this two day course where they train in first aid, uh, jet ski rescues, surfboard rescues, action plans for every situation that you can, that you can get. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're surfing, you know, knee high to chest high waves or going out quadruple overhead spots. It's just good to have an action plan if something goes wrong. Um, I'm very hard on safety and I've bought a first aid kit for my car that has like all trauma stuff. Uh, uh sorry, is that lawnmower interfering? Is it all right? Yeah, it's fine. I don't hear okay. it. Okay. Um, I pull it out in post. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I run in my car, a first aid kit, uh, tourniquet all trauma stuff. Um, I don't have a defib, uh, just because, uh, I, yeah, I just haven't afforded it. I haven't made it a priority, but like I'm trained up in first aid. Uh, 
in the jet ski, I've got a waterproof Pelican case that also has the same things, trauma stuff, uh, tourniquet. Uh, we always run a sled on the back of the ski, which is not only handy for storing your know, foil, but like also if for some reason you need to do a, a rescue or some sort of spinal assistance uh, rescue, that's great. Um, yeah, that's, that's all we're kind of running in terms of safety, in terms of the toe foiling, uh, at the moment, uh, Jeremy and I, we're just running, uh, no leash. Uh, the day that I towed him into that crazy one at Cape Salander, he wore a leash because like that, that spot, if you're not going to wear a leash, you got to pretty much be committed to say goodbye to your board. If you're going to go down on a wave. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys bring radios or use Apple watches? How do you handle communication on the water? No, nah, that's, that's, that's one thing that I do want to kind of look into the radio thing. I also had another story uh, where we chased like this slab down the coast where it's super remote and um, our phone reception was shit. We had like a photographer on the, the point and um, we were towing this wave and it's like a good, 40 minute drive to the boat ramp and like that lack of communication uh if something goes wrong to let your person know who's on the land to know what's going on with say if there was an injury to drive the ski back 40 minutes like people are just in limbo and they don't know so i think the two-way radio is a very very crucial thing that should be looked at um that's definitely something I'm going to look at. Uh, in terms of Apple Watches, no, I don't. Perth, Perth lent me an Apple Watch for a little bit, which um, it was just a little bit too much of a phone on my wrist. Um, I know, like, I Googled it and I tried to turn off as many notifications as possible, but um I've got my own business and like, I feel like I'm getting emails and texts all the time and my fucking wrist was just buzzing nonstop. And then I feel like half the time the Apple watch barely even makes a day on the charge. Mm -hmm. So whenever I got to in the afternoon going out for a foil and doing the surf watch app, my watch was dead before I could even like, you know, use it. So I've actually gone back to, um, the Garmin Descent watch. I'm a, I'm a spearfisher as well, so I like a watch that can show me my depth and mm -hmm. the time above water and time below water. So um, I've gone back to the Garmin, which I love. Um, I'm looking at it now, and it's got seven-day battery hold, and um, it's good for the downwind. It shows you your the splits of like uh, how fast you're going in the kilometer and stuff, but it, it is bad at trying to track the foiling in the surf. Um, I don't know what's going on there. Like, um, I don't know why the, the metrics on it are so shit compared to whatever the Apple watch is doing, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's I, the only downfall. I feel the same way about Apple watches. I, I loathe them and I mm -hmm. only wear it when I do downwinding or something offshore when I want to be able to communicate. It's the, yeah, only, totally. it's and then do you find like, we've got our own little like downwind club and a lot of the boys said that even 
not that there's been any crazy emergencies or anything, but like say when one of the guys just can't get on foil and he has to paddle the rest of the way and we're just like, where the hell are you? A lot of the time he said like um, a lot of the boys were like, oh, yeah, the fucking watch. Like it, it couldn't uh, try to do Siri on it or tried to touch the thing with their fingers and like the water droplets would let you fucking activate the, the call sign or whatever. Yeah, you have to um, disable the passcode. And then it just works. You never, you don't have to touch the screen. You can just hold right. the button on the side and say, I say, call Sarah. The other thing I do is my location is enabled so she can always see where I'm at. Like if I'm out and I'm just having a shocker and I told her half an hour and it's been two hours, she can just look and see, oh, you know, he's here. Right. Yeah, yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, I do. I do. Um so my downwind buddy that I pretty much go with all the time, Perth, um, I just share my location with him 24-7. I don't turn it on and off. And um, it's pretty funny. Like there's been a couple times where he's at work and he can't get out there and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to send one by myself because where I send it is pretty much where he finished, where his work is. So I'll send it to him and he'll be like, oh, yeah, looks like he's on foil, he's moving. And then he'll like, he'll see me, I'll be like stopped and he'll be like, oh, looks like the wind's dropped or he can't get on foil anymore. So uh, it's, um, and I, I, share, I share it with uh, my fiance as well, uh, just so she knows what's going on. And um, So you're bringing your phone out there with you? I am, yeah, yeah. I'm bringing my phone because, um, so just in the last kind of two months, I've, Okay, so I I wear that Vicobi vest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got like a little front pouch, and in there is uh, I bought it off Vicobi as well. It's a um, like a little dry bag to fit your phone, and it's it's great. Like it's amazing. Like it's uh, my phone's been fine. My phone's also in like a a little eBay life proof rip off case that um that's good. Like it's, 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 well, it's still working and it's been in the water a little bit, but, um, so I run my, um, I run my phone in the front pouch of my life jacket. My watch is synced to it. So whoever's calling or texting comes through on there still. Um, okay. So you basically yeah. have the same setup with an, as the Apple watch. Pretty much. And yeah. like, I guess like, uh, maybe for you guys and the Hawaiian guys, I've seen like you guys kind of, you know, just wear your trunks and you get out there and it looks fucking sick. Like, you know, pretty, well, it's like, I don't know if you, if you get, yeah, you guys get warm weather too, but like, we've just like, you know, we've been in like wetsuits and stuff which we're, we're coming into summer now. And I did just before I got to America, um, I did a couple downwinds where I was just in, you know, my trunks, but, um, it is, it is nice to have that free feeling and it would be cool to just have the watch and you know, that's it. But, um, yeah, I'm still just bringing the phone. I'm also like, I just, uh, I've, I've had this idea and I've, I've got like a little dry bag at home. I'm going to maybe connect, uh, one of those dry bags to my waist belt leash. And it's like a dry bag. That's kind of just big enough for my phone. So it might be a little bit annoying when I'm, pumping like the phone kind of flapping in the bag but at least then like i could still just run in board shorts be kind of free yeah that that's sick here it's actually kind of funny in the summer 
I was bringing a camel back out because it's so hot and you're going with the wind. It's like a sauna. I was overheating on runs like wow. really quickly. So I, I throw in just tons of ice and then fill it with water. And that kind of keeps my back cold. And then I can, you know, hydrate along the run and, you know, put in a bunch of noons or Gatorade or something. Um, wow. If I do that, I'll throw in my phone sometimes. I have a Pelican uh, like bag for the phone. It was like 20 bucks. I got one. Yeah, I know me. that one. Yeah. You, did you have any dramas with it? I had a friend in our downwind group who bought that in like the first session. It had like a hole in it. <laughs> no. Knock <laughs> on wood. Not yeah. I got one for Brian too because he always forgets his watch for for the world, Brian. So we're always yeah. sitting and I'm like, dude, you got your watch? Oh, I forgot my watch. So finally I just, he's always got his phone though. So I just yeah. ordered that Pelican thing. I just ordered one for him too because it's always like we're the... It's like Brian, me, and Pedigo are the three guys you kind of send here. So, um, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, how you just took it in your initiative to get it for your friend because a lot of the times, like, and I, I'm not blaming like our friends or whatever, but like, um, I hope he listens. It, to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you know, when someone you can't account for is gone. And like, even though they're completely sweet or fine, it puts like, it puts your other team members in stress mm-hmm. and like, it's, 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 it's not fair. Like we, we had it one day and like, you know, because the downwind subs getting so big now and like people are joining our group, like every second week now, I don't blame them because I don't know the protocols yet, but like, it's, it's everyone's responsibility to know exactly where everyone is. And like, it, I know we're already buying these fucking expensive subs and new wings and, and then you got to buy a bloody Apple watch now, or like some waterproof pouch. that's going to cost an extra hundred dollars. Like everyone's just trying to cut costs wherever, but it is like, it is important. And I think that's when, um, not that we've made our own little secret groups within our big downwind groups, but like, I'm very pro like link up with a buddy who's the who's kind of getting into it at the exact same time as you or maybe they're just a little bit better than you so they can mentor you but like if you're still going in a group where like you oh like where you've got the guys who have been doing it for a year now and then they have to wait like two hours for the guys who didn't get on foil the whole time and paddle the whole way like um yeah it's just i guess like now with everyone getting into it it, it's good to see that like you can buddy up with people and and it, it, it is cool yeah on our coast here i don't know if it's if it's much safer to go with friends than it is to go alone because we kind of run parallel to the shore so you're never more than maybe half to three quarters of a mile offshore mm-hmm. so you're always within a pretty good paddle distance and the reality is in the amount of runs that I have done with Josh and, uh, or not Josh, uh, um, Pedigo and, and Brian, I'm just thinking through this right now. There's probably only been one or two that we have been like in proximity during the run. It's pretty mm-hmm. rare that you're, you know, within shouting distance. And, oh, totally. Yeah. You know, it's like you're kind of out there by yourself the whole time. And, yeah, I, I don't. I just don't know if there's much. Say it's fun though. Like when you do have those runs when you're together, it's amazing. Um, I I totally agree. Like that's every downwind that I've done besides the bay runs that we do. Um, you start together and then boom, within like 
two seconds, everyone's at different spaces. I think like not only are you you're taken off maybe at the same time or maybe not the same time, but that's enough to split you apart. But the people that are on different foils, it's crazy the speed um, that like a, you know, a foil that can go maybe like half a mile faster can like split you guys apart. Um, yeah. It's funny that you're talking about all this downwind stuff now, because I feel very fortunate. Like I just had a, I've been kind of traveling for the last three months and I've been very fortunate where I've got to experience downwinds in Fiji and then I got to experience the downwind over here in um, California and then I did like I wouldn't say a downwind over in Hawaii just recently but like um, get to feel the energy in the water there and it's really nice to see how it all kind of works differently because that's one thing I was really curious about and um the, you the more one, on that like what were you feeling in the different locations definitely what, like I mean, um salinity makes a difference water density like all of that plays a part in how a foil feels and then the energy in the water okay so first of all california has the slowest water in the world well not that i've flowed everywhere but like i've been here a lot now and for some reason like California, and I'd love to challenge people to do this to beat Oscar's record, but I don't think you guys have beaten Oscar's record here in California. Not only do you guys have seagrass, kelp, but the water is just slower, and I don't know why. And I've had, like, mates tell me that maybe it's the the sediment that's coming off the, the seabed that makes the water thicker. But, um, yeah, it's just like... It's it's really interesting, and it's one thing that I definitely noticed on one of my first foil trips. I was like, fuck, it's hard to pump through the water here. Like, I thought something was wrapped around my mast or something, and it's like, nah, I flipped the board over. It's just like, it's just harder to get through the water here. But um, another thing with uh, Fiji is that the currents there are crazy because these little islands, the water goes from, like, you know, shallow reef break dropping down to thousands and thousands of meters, like within, you know, only a football field width apart. Um, so the currents that run through those, those spaces, sometimes the wind can only be like eight to 10 knots and the bumps are crazy. Probably like, not that I've been, but like probably like a hood river setup. But then if you've got the current running the other way with the wind, it, it's, and the, and the wind's blowing like 15 to 20 knots, the bumps are shithouse. Um, I definitely experienced that when I was over in Fiji. Like we we came home from cloud break and it's like a 20-minute boat ride. And when I was driving back, I was like, oh, my God, these bumps are insane. Like they're head-high bumps. Like I'm going to run into the beach, grab my, my sup foil and come back out here. And then by the time it must've been like a, a tide change, by the time I came in, grabbed my board, set it up, got a boat back out, the the bumps were terrible. And I was just like blown away. I was like, what the hell? Like I thought bumps were bumps from the wind. I didn't realize that the current running through it was enough for it to make them into like stationary waves. But, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. Like I got some good downwinds in there. Uh, I realized that I don't need to bring my sub to Fiji to do a downwind because everything's boat assisted there. Like they're not going to 
drop you at one spot and just leave you and be like, yeah, make your way back to the island. So you've got support in that sense. So, and what I found out, maybe what you've seen on my Instagram is um, I got taught off one of the locals there how to do a boat start. You just hold on to like the gunnel of the longboat and then they kind of speed up to whatever speed you want, determining on what foil you're riding. And you kind of push yourself off the side. It's, it is extremely dangerous because if you fuck it up and the boat runs you over, you can just go straight under the prop. But um, it's a great way to get started. And, um, yeah, you just do a downwind and the boat that you've hired or, or whatever will just follow you however downwind you want to go down through the islands. It's incredible. How were those runs there? Did, did yeah, they... so, uh, yeah, kick on, sorry. I was just going to say, did they feel like a normal offshore downwind run? Because you're in shallower water, probably. Um, I mean, I've no, seen... So what I loved is the deeper water. I felt like wherever the bumps were in the deeper water were better. That makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know really how it works, but for some reason, like where, wherever the ocean was deeper, I felt like the, the bumps, the bumps were better. So I started off, um, there's a wave over there called Nemotu Less. And on my first day we had a trade wind, which blows cross offshore of the waves. So I got dropped up the point. This is before I learned how to do the boat start. I got dropped off the top. It was only small. There's like a wave just, uh, deeper than uh Nemotu left called love shack and um did like a little chip in off there um and then you kind of just pump out to the channel and then um you head downwind towards another wave called wilkes which is a right hander and then on the inside of that there's another wave called hummus that like if you've been to Fiji, everyone froths over that way because it's just like a little foil park. Mm. Um, and then if you continue down that channel, it brings you to like this lagoon, which it's called, uh, everyone goes there to get drunk, um, cloud nine. Um, so the first day, um, I did this little chip in, got the whole run without falling. Bumps were incredible. Was seeing like turtles on my run, had flying fish coming up next to me and like, this is the first time kind of downwinding in like a tropical scenario. And I was just like, Oh my God. And I had the, uh, my mates on the boat, um, following me. And then like, I just like, it was, it was really cool because like it starts off as like a, um, a wave. So probably like your shore runner a bit, and mm-hmm. then you kick into the channel and then it's proper downwinding where you're reading bumps. And then you connect up to that Wilkes wave and it's a sick right-hander. So you're just like surfing like this right-hander and then you kick off that and then it turns into this like um, hummus wave where it's this foil park where the waves are like by that stage they've wrapped around the reef and they've lost all their energy and it turns into like this really mellow A-frame wave gets getting pushed in and you can easily do whitewash hits because it's lost its energy and, um, and then you you kick out of that wave and then you turn into the lagoon and there's just still enough little bumps in there that you can kind of turn it back into a downwinder again. So that was incredible. Did like three runs of that. And this is already after like a whole morning of spearfishing, like for six hours. And then like, like just eating kind of rotis and bananas and drinking water and like bodies just fried. Like first day in Fiji, I just went hell for leather, just zero to a hundred. 
but like I've been dying to get to Fiji for ages, like ever since the COVID thing kicked off. So it was incredible. And then at the end of the trip, I got lucky and um, it was a goal of mine to go from cloud break back to Nomotu because I heard um, a couple crew have done that and I just wanted to tick that one off. And it was cool. Like we uh, drove up, uh, got barreled in the afternoon. There was like a, a trade win, which is good for cloud break as well. Um, cross offshore uh, down the end section. Uh, it's kind of more offshore. So we were just surfing that for a couple of hours, got a few little barrels and then had the foil in the boat. And then that, that trade wind blows directly home to the motor. So I did that little um, boat start and then, Oh, it's actually, it's on Instagram. And then the people in the boat had beers. And then I came over to the boat, grabbed a beer halfway through the run and it was cool. I, I highly rec- recommend Fiji uh, for everyone who's, who foils. It's an um, incredible spot. So, yeah. Yeah, that's unreal. Um, what are you riding on downwind stop? Have you played with a bunch of different boards? Have you landed on a dimension that works for you? Yeah, I've been through everything. Um, everything in terms of the stuff before, like, three months ago where actually the stuff got good. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been on like five different subs. Um, shout out to James Casey who like had like all these old um, Sonova things that he lent me because like back then there just wasn't boards, dude. Like you, you probably know, like it was impossible to get something narrow and skinny. Like, yep. um, I just got my Kalama um, the other day, the E361 uh, by, I think it's 23. And um, that's by far the best board that I've ever had. But in terms of like where stuff foiling is now, that's kind of, it's old now. Like everyone, like I was just over at Kai's house the other day and he showed me this new magic board that he's got that's like, I think 19 wide by 6.6, like, um, to me, that looks perfect. Like I reckon six, six is a perfect number or six, eight, like not that I've tried a Barracuda yet, but like, yeah, those boards look amazing for getting up flat water and, and really light wind. But when it's up, like, I, I don't know if I want to be whipping that thing around. Like it just looks a bit goofy in my eyes. Um, and then I look at like, I look at guys like, uh, uh, who like uh, Jack Ho and um, and Oscar? Like these guys are, have got to the point where it doesn't really matter what board now. Like they can paddle whatever up. And like I, when you're up, like like any type of foiling, you want a small board. You want to have something nimble and like you know. I feel like those big boards, they're nearly like a sail sometimes. Like the the more surface area you got, it's the wind if it you know, starts gusting from a, a side angle, it's going to throw you around. Like I've had times where I've been on the sup and my paddle feels like it's going to get ripped out of my hands because the wind's gusting so hard. Like it's as if it's like a windsurfer or something. But, um, my, my sup journey started off on a, um, on a Sonova, six one by 27. I bought it just as I was leaving. I was living in America for three months and I bought it off Brad, one of the legends from, um, 
the Los Angeles Foil Club. Um, he sold me his old sup. It's funny. I um, he was such a legend. He took me out um, uh, near Malibu, and we just paddled out. And I I fully could not even stand on this twenty seven wide inch board. Like I would be like shaking at the knees. And then like, I'd get up for a second and then roll over the board. And I was just like, so humbled, dude. So humbled. Like I just gave Brad, you know, the money for the board. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stick this out. But like, I was like, whoa, this is going to be a long time till I can even do this. And, um, I brought the board home back to Sydney. And, um, I remember I went out just our local little, bay there and I was paddling around and even in full glassy conditions I still couldn't even stand on this board I couldn't find and like now this board I reckon I could paddle around on it like a beast because like it just feels like a a boat but like I just remember like how hard it was and how I think there's videos of me like I forget who took the videos but there's videos of me and I just look like a baby deer who came out of the womb eh? like I just <laughs> <laughs> but um that's funny so I yeah started on that board and then uh my mate Perth got hooked up with um one of James Casey's prototypes, it was like this beautiful olive looking board and Perth injured himself. So he lent that board to me and that board, I was like, Whoa, this board's like, it was maybe 26 inches wide. And I was like, Whoa, this board feels sick. Like, and I was, um, finally starting to get the hang of like, uh, paddling, not in fucking circles, actually paddling straight. And, um, and, uh, like kind of getting the, the board doing like a wheelie at least now. Um, I was riding, I was still on Axis then and I was using, oh, I got really lucky. Like the shop that now supports me, uh, WSS boards over in, um, in Sydney, they lent me a 1060 um, Axis swing, which is, from what I've heard in the group chats, people don't really uh, use it much, but like that, that wing was what first got me on foil. So that's I, yeah, one of the legends there, Will, he put me onto it and um, he was like, man, this has got really early lift off and like it, it's got super slow stall speed, but it still turns like it's not stupid wide, like the 1300 or the, or the 1150 where like you get up on foil and you feel like you just have to go wherever the board's going. Like, so that was, um, my first moment on foil. I remember it wasn't a downwind. We were just in like this bay where it was like a tiny little sandbar and like, you know, knee high waves that were kind of barely breaking. And I remember I, I got on foil in front of a couple of friends and I was just cheering like the best fucking feeling ever. I think my, progression was maybe like two months to that stage of like just paddling around in the afternoons and barely, barely being able to stand on my board to like maybe two months where I went over to this wave one weekend and like the wave that it's still like to this day doesn't replicate downwind, but like, you know, paddling into something that's not even breaking that for me was a massive win. 
And then I unfortunately had to give that board back because Perth's injury healed. And um, James, Casey lent me some other board because at that stage I was just going through everything in my head. How do I get that 1% better? And, like, obviously I knew, everyone knew that you needed a narrower board. But the thing is James had this little orange Sonova board that uh, no one was using that was maybe 25 inches wide, but it was like 5'11". And 88 litres or 90 litres. And, like, I still could barely – I couldn't paddle up in bumps. I could barely paddle onto little waves. Um, but I grabbed it because I was like, it's narrower. Maybe this is going to be the key to getting onto them. And um, I learned in that instance that if you don't have the right literage, the board's useless. I was thinking, like, I'm not heavy. Like, I'm, I'm – like 169 pounds, like 77 kilos. And um, that board for me, if I wasn't paddling, I was sinking. And that was a really good lesson because when you're doing uh, like paddling in the bumps or trying to catch waves on your sup, you need that initial momentum because if you're sinking and you're a shit paddler like me, it's going to take you a long time to build that momentum to get the speed to engage that foil. So I rode that a little bit, that orange board. And like, I actually, so, oh, sorry. So by this stage, I was just doing sup. I fully packed away my prone stuff because I think Zane and Perth and stuff said, dude, you need to just go hundred percent sup now you need to fully get used to swing weight of a bigger board. You need to get used to standing on this thing because you can't even stand on it. And, um, yeah, so I fully ditched all my prone stuff. I think I had one toe session within three to four months on my prone board again. And I was like, Oh, this is so good. But, um, I just fully committed to the sup, which I highly recommend to everyone. You need to just go full in. Don't just be like, Oh, I'm just going to go winging today. Or I'm going to go on the prone because it looks fun. Just, just stay to the sub, commit. And, um, yeah. So after I figured out that that orange board was too small for me, I went back to my original board that I bought off Brad here in, um, in America. And that thing felt amazing again because it had the right literage. It was, I think 115 liters. Um, and it could paddle like it's when I paddled, it actually moved. So I got back on that and then that's when I cracked the code and did my first sup downwind in the bay in like 25 knot winds and it was the best moment in my foiling journey. You don't understand the excitement I had and the froth I had when I came in from that run. It was incredible. Um, and then... Why is downwind so addictive? because it's not easy. Like the, the one thing that I've learned with this whole foiling experience is I'm always chasing bettering myself. So like the, the, the draw card that had to it was how hard it was. And I knew everyone told me, everyone who had already been through it, Zay, Oscar, Perth, 
they all said, you'll get it, dude, hundred percent. Like there's, there's no, there's no, like no doubt about it. You're going to get it. It's just, you have, you have to go through this shit process. You have to, there's no, that's why I hear today when people are like, oh, I'm just going to get like a foil drive and do this and do that. Or like, or like people, people are luckier these days. Like if you want to get your hands on the Barracuda, like you can probably in your first session do a flat water paddle up. Like, but are you really going to be that good of a, a paddler? Is it more just the board doing the paddling for you or I don't know. Like I, I, if I was to do it again, it would be really nice to have all this gear to kind of fast track the experience I had, but I, I wouldn't, I don't think that the experience I had was shit. I think it was necessary. And I think, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm good now. I'm still fucking terrible. Like I'm still, I still go out there and like I'll paddle out to the bumps on my chest and I'll stand up and I'll fall straight off. And I'll be like, Oh my God, I'm still so bad at this. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So after I got the final, when I say a completed downward run, I still fell like easily. I'm still falling to this day, like five times in a run, but like, I don't look at it as a fail anymore because as long as you can get back up on foil, it's, it's a win. Like I'm still chasing that ACE run and I got really close the other day to an ACE run because, um, it's funny. James Casey said, when you finally ace a run, I'll get you on the podcast. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm, still, <laughs> I'm still chasing that moment, which is good. Like I don't mind it. And like, I look at it as, um, when you need to paddle up, like that's the skill. That is the skill. We can all foil. Like at this stage we can all foil. And like, yeah, like reading bumps is still something that I find extremely tricky, but it's, it's definitely making more sense to me now. But, um, the, the paddling up is just like, it's, it's what really gets me. I, I, I don't have any, I don't have any SUP background, Eric. Like I've heard that you, you actually come from a very good SUP background. So I guess you're lucky in that sense. But I, um, like what I said earlier in the interview, like I, I had that, that dickhead surfer mentality where I'd look at SUPs and be like, that's fucking lame. Like, you know what I mean? No, no. Sorry. I, take that back very, very early in the sup days. Um, remember when Tommy Carroll used to have the sup range? Oh yeah. Yeah. I bought one of them, dude, the red one, but I used it like three times. And I remember being like, this is so hard. This is so heavy to bring down the beach. And then it just got stored at my mate's garage. But, um, (laughs) so on that note of sup experience, I did a lot in in the sup world. And one of the things that I did was, um, the progression project actually started the moniker came from doing a film where brought down like the nine best sup surfers in the world. The Costa Rica did two weeks, filmed it and released, released that. If you guys haven't seen that movie, you might like it. It's called the progression project. You can find it on Vimeo. Um, one of the guys who came down is Fisher Grant and I'm, become really good friends with Fisher and his brother Kieran over the last seven, eight years. And Fisher, he's been referenced on the podcast before because he was a lifeguard with Simeon on the North Shore for a couple of years. And he is, I would say, if you look at time on foil versus skill, he's probably the best foiler in the world. He didn't have a foil until about two months ago when he bought one off of me. Uh, he would just borrow people's foils, but he's like uh, just an incredible server. He just won. There's a longboard pro in Jacksonville this last weekend and he just won it. Um, 
And we he was here, and we decided to go for a, a sup downwind. Now, mind you, he has never supped a foil before in his life. <laughs> never. So we paddle out, and he hopped on the 170, and I kind of like showed him what to look for, and within 20 minutes, this fucking kid is downwinding. Offshore. Legit start. 20 minutes. I mean, he's a world-class sup surfer, right? And just waterman. But it was it was one of the most maddening things I have ever seen. I was uh, like, I was just hoping that I'd for once get to see Fisher humbled in the water. <laughs> that did not happen. <laughs> I was like, God. Yeah, that's, I've, I've started to see that as well in our little uh, downwind crew back home. Like, I'll, it's so hard not to compare because like I'm, I'm in this experience for self-development. I'm not in here to be better than, Kai Lanny will be better than whoever the best in the world is. Like, I just don't even see that as achievable. And I don't even, I'm not a competitive person, but like I'll see people who will join our group and within, yeah, like three downwinds that at least getting on foil. And I was like, that took me like four or five months to get to that stage. And I was going every day and I'm just like, <laughs> I was like, I was like fuck you but like like i don't i don't mean to be like that but it's just like i think it's just something built in all of us because i'm like i want you to feel my pain but maybe maybe i'm just really bad at this but you know what i'm enjoying it so it's all good (laughs) (laughs) well i'll keep the chain of thought of the saps um and then i uh was lucky enough to borrow a friend's um you probably haven't heard of them they're called cosmic crafts they're up um near where amos shapes okay um i borrowed a mates one of them they kind of replicated the e3 kalama looks very similar um i don't think it was as narrow like it was maybe 24 but like you know we we get smaller and smaller in terms of narrowness and um that felt really good and like i only had a couple sessions on it but it felt really nice and then um and then finally after it felt like over six months of all this bloody COVID and shipping delays and every excuse in, under the sun, we got our Kalamas and that happened maybe two months ago and night and day. Like I understand why Dave, you know, has the name he does because his board works. It's yeah. just, it's, it's how it should be. I still think there's, there can definitely be improvement, but it was, by far the best sub foil board I've ever been on. Like, um, and like it, it, it is, it's kind of irrelevant that board now because like, you know, he's already had a season of the Barracudas and I'm sure he's already got something happening under the table. That's like, you know, for next season, but like, um, yeah, board's incredible. And, uh, I, that's, think what, uh, yeah. I think what Dave did is, was a foundational change in the way, that we look at offshore starting like pop-ups offshore i I think that it's kind of like i don't know longboard to shortboard it was like one of those transitions and it's too bad i was thinking about this a little bit it's too bad that that can't be rewarded to the level that it should be i mean he has i mean everybody knows that this change in the way that we're approaching offshore energy has come from dave but you know i just heard a story where I think Matt Biala still sends, um, is it Simon Anderson, a couple mm-hmm. bucks every time he sells the thruster. 
No, really? <laughs> I thought that was the coolest story ever. And hilarious. That's I so feel good. like we should all do that for Dave, you know, because everybody's utilizing kind of the, the groundwork that he has laid. Um, I just hope that, you know, everybody respects like what he's done. I'm just such a big fan of his though, you know. For sure. And like I've heard on the podcast, he's like, he like, he doesn't want to take full credit for it. He's just like, he just needed a tool and he somehow created it. And I remember you asking, like, he, he should, should you paint it, paint it? And um, he was like, yeah, well, whatever. People can just do whatever they want with it now. But like, he definitely, if, if you know your stuff, you know that he's the one who, who helped this all begin. So yeah, props to Dave. That was, that was rad. But it's also like, I was even uh, in the shaping shed the other day with uh, Steve Ford. Mm-hmm. And it is nice that like, you know, I think that's, what's going to help with progression. He has like a completely different, uh, like idea. He has like a completely flat bottom, like hard square rails, like 19 inches wide, like so narrow, but I haven't wrote it yet, but he said that a few guys here in California have written it and they've written Dave's boards and they reckon it's even easier to paddle and it, it gets up on, on foil even easier. So um, it's exciting. Like it's, it's really exciting. I think that's what's, what's helping is people is trying out all these different things. But the one thing that I still hold firm is that it's like with um, I've been through a few different board shapers. I only really want to get a board of someone who kind of can do whatever that board is designed to do. And that's why I'm a big advocate for, for Dave because Yep. probably sup downwinds the most out of anyone on the planet and he's gonna and he's probably made a thousand boards until he got to the one that actually works whereas yep. you got other guys who are making these sup boards which are, um you know they look like the thing but there's there's a reason why you know dave's charging that much for his boards is because it's the tech that's in it yep yep so, and, and it's all in the nuance right i think in the learning phases, you don't really appreciate the nuance in those things. But then, you know, what a cane or I don't know, you could go down the list of people who are crossover athlete designers, like that communication, uh, either within themselves to go from feel to um, physical, you know, reality, uh, the, 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 the better that communication is, the better the product you get out of it is. And, um, yeah, a hundred percent. For sure. And not to toot your horn, horn, but like, um, I think some of the best prone boards are probably going to come out of you soon because you're one of the best prone foilers in the world. And, and like, if you're actually making and designing these boards, like, like what, what, what more do you want? Like I'm a big advocate for, um, like I, I had a few different shapers where like, the shaper was like 60 years old and I was 18 at the time and I'm trying to do airs and he's trying to make a board to do an air. He wouldn't even know what an air feels like. Whereas like I'm trying to translate that to him and he's probably just, you know, going on Google or whatever he's getting his Intel from and making whatever the board's supposed to be made out of. But um, yeah, like I'm big advocate for someone who can at least like, it's one thing having a good team rider and a good shaper, like I'm, I'm, I don't know what Bennett's is doing with JS. Like obviously he's got a very good name, but 
I don't know, does whoever's making these things even foil or is it just Bennett making them? Like, um, I think there needs to be that, 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 because it's, I find the one thing the hardest to translate to, to shapers or whatever is those feels. And like, you know, if they're foiling and not feeling like the feels that you're feeling, like how, I just don't get how they're going to translate that into board design. Right. I, I, well, so I, I 100% agree with that. And this is interesting because I just released a podcast with Mike Raper today. He's the head of North Kite, North Foils. Uh-huh. And, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is in the phase that we are in right now in the sport, it's a very fast evolving um, sport. And the, the folks that can more rapidly kind of equate feel to product, whatever that is, um, have a huge advantage. But I think what happens though is three years, five years, 10 years down the line, best practices as far as design will somewhat be solidified. And then it turns into more, you know, refinement of product, you know, carbon layups, things like that, where when you have budget and scale, you're going to be able to do that at a better level. And so... Yeah, at some point, I think there's an inflection, an inflection point in, in the sport. And, you know, once you have the design for the best high aspect foil, there's probably one out there. And then once that is what everyone is doing, then it becomes manufacturing and marketing. Yeah, I agree. And you've probably witnessed that through your foil making. Like, um, I remember you telling me, because I've been prototyping your stuff, um, we're trying to figure out if I had got one of the foils in the early batches of the prototype or the later ones, because like those tiny nuances of the, of the mold blowing out and it could be like, you know, half of a millimeter is enough to make the thing feel fucked. Yep. Yeah. Like probably 85, 80% of the feels that I have on like the first ones. Yeah. And like what you're saying, like having that, uh, I, I, I find very hard translating what I'm feeling. Like, I feel like that's a very good skill of yours. Like how you just said then like 85% of like what I'm feeling compared to your feeling. Like I hopped on like another 170 the other day of yours. And like, to me, it kind of felt, felt the same. And I think that's like, I think that's what you're edging at towards is um, the people who have that quick response time of knowing those different feels is um yeah where you're going to have that advantage but then also you know what i've known through fishing is um like spear fishing is the people who kind of talk shit then they just like they kind of pretend they know what they're feeling or just to make a point of difference mm-hmm. and it's like are you are you really feeling that or did you really see that bait jump over there like, it's like, you know, I think maybe they're just trying to make it exciting because they've just been sitting on a boat for eight hours looking around for birds and bait, and they're just like, oh, I just seen something jump over there, or, or you know, oh yeah, this 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 thing feels like you know, this thing feels five percent better than my last foil, and it's like, yeah, but did it really? You know, did it? I try to put data everything. Yeah, I mean that's because uh, like, you you do you it's it is it's one of the things that I check myself on all the time, which is somewhat hard is to not fall into like blind spots, cognitive bias areas, yeah, you know, because that can be hard. Like you could just be excited about something because it's new or 
um, yeah. You, you know, the, the, the best thing that Cliffy taught me when he sent me all those red CNC tails was nothing. He just goes, try them all. Yep. And then I just spat back the information and he was like, he only gave me little, little bits of like, he was like, oh, okay, interesting. And then I'll be like, well, hang on. This one feels a little bit more front footed. Oh, wait, no, this one feels a little bit more back foot. And you know what? That helped me so much because before that I had no idea what, what type of foiler I was. I didn't know if I was front footed. I didn't know if I was back footed. I didn't know if I was equal. And, um, that little, I don't know if that was a little training exercise that he tried to put me through or what he was just trying to hear feedback from his end. But, um, that was amazing. That was a really, really good lesson. And I, I say that to anyone out there is try figure out whether they're a front foot, back foot or equal positioned foiler, because this is going to help your foiling so much in terms of tuning, whether you need different shims, whether you need like what part of your body's getting sore first when you're um, pumping around or, or foiling, like it will help big time. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, on that cliffy note, something really interesting is that, so we've just started working on a bigger version of the foil and he he gets the foil. I mean, he it comes out of his mold, and then he'll ride it for about a week. But he doesn't tell me any of his feels. He just takes a lot of notes. And th this is the way we've kind of set it up, so it's kind of blind, blind. And then I'll ride it, do notes, and then we kind of compare. And on the two ten, I had a prone session, and then two downwinders, and and I was like, all right, I'm ready to talk. And literally our notes were identical. So after doing oh, three, wow. it was like, we both wanted, we needed to shorten core just a little bit. There was like, a, it was like really cool that our feels and then, and he was winging on it mostly. Um, but our, our feels were like identical and what we wanted to do was identical. So it was like that, that's one of those ones where it feels really good that you're on the same page. I think that's so important. And then are you, are you, um, like, is he running it for the that week or whatever? And then he sends you that one that he's riding? Yeah, so we're on the exact same foil. Oh, and it's the first that's out of the mold. Gold. It's perfect. That's so good. Okay. Yeah. So then how did you find out that the molds were changing? So Tom Earl got sent a 140. Mm -hmm. And it was a later 140. So probably five or six in. And he got it and he hated it. What? And so he absolutely hated it. And the feel, so so there's certain things in, in foiling that I think are more subjective than others. So like foils can turn very differently, but one might just suit my style of foiling and not his style of foiling. And so he doesn't like the way that it turns, but he said it was stalling really easily and that the pump was worse than the Viper 150. And there's what? no way that you would compare the pumps from what I'm feeling to his. So I feel like pumping is probably the least subjective thing. And so it was at that moment that I was like, there's gotta be something different about this thing. And then the foils came to Dom in California and I had those sent here so I could do caliper testing on everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we figured out that there was a disparity of thickness that the mold had compressed. It had moved the wide, the thick point back about 10% along the cord. And the foil and overall thickness was um, about a mil 1.3 millimeters thinner. So it completely changed the foil section. And then when I took them out and I rode them, it was 
you know, very, very different, hard to get up on foil, lots of work, turning was really delayed. So between the first foil and then that foil, there's a slight degrade in certain aspects of the foil, which now that we know, like, and the, the cool thing is, is the ones, the first ones out, we went through and did very detailed testing on it to make sure that that's the same as the molds are going to come out. And it is. So that, that was my biggest concern was, well, are these going to be different than the final molds? But the real first test foils from production are supposed to come pretty soon now. We're going to test that for about a month before we finally commit to like a real production run. Wow. We need like a, um, we need like a hard reset. So like whatever information we've required, we can just reset and then like test it again without <laughs> having any biased opinion. Right. <laughs> because um, while I've got you on this 140, what one do I have? Because I hopped on yours and was like, this is the best foil I've ever ridden. Um, you are probably, where did you get it from? Got off Dom. So yeah, that's, that's down the line a little bit. That's, that's different than what I'm riding. Yeah. What? Yeah. It'll well, be... I, that's like the first foil that I've hopped on since that, since that, uh, first foil that I ever bought off Axis, the 980, where I was like, Oh my God, this is the one. Um, I just, I hopped on it like, uh, down here in San Diego. And just, I didn't like, obviously didn't know how to tune it. Just tuned it the same way I tuned my Vipers. And as soon as I got on it, I was like, oh, I think I, I came in and told you Cliffy straight away. I was like, holy shit, this is the one. Yeah. This is it. I was like, what, well, why do we even need a 170? We're doing it on the 140. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this just does everything that the 170 does, but turns way harder. I well, was like, you could like. What you were saying earlier about the water in California will mean that the 140 will be probably faster and feel better there than, than the 170, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Like, yeah, that's that's just. I, I wish I um, I wish I talked to Tom Earl a little bit more because it's um, that's so interesting. He like from what I've, I've I haven't been over to the UK, but from what I've seen on his videos, he does look like he pumps like a machine. Yeah, like the way he pumps the Vipers, I can't pump him like that. He just, but I think he is a little bit lighter mm-hmm. than me. But like. That's so incredible that he hopped on the 140 and was like, I can't pump this thing. I can't ride it. Like, and I feel like we, we actually were chatting the other day. I feel like we do have kind of similar uh, foiling styles. Like he was saying that like I lead with my, my shoulders and my arms versus like, you know, a James Casey that's like more lower center of gravity and like leaning forward. Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting that it just didn't work for him. So I think I'm happy um, it didn't. Like it, that was a, that was a really important thing. hundred percent. Like you don't want to hear that. It's just good, good, good. Like you want to hear like the nuances, right? Right. So, uh, yeah. So I want to go back to something. We, we're hitting an hour and a half right now. Are you good for about oh, a shit. That went quick. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk foiling. You can do it all day. Uh, yeah. No, I've got, just keep going. Got as much time as you want. Actually, this is kind of fun. Um, after this, I'm going jet ski shopping with a buddy, a buddy partnering. He finally, it's like, I haven't had, I don't have space for one. And then a buddy wants to partner. So we found a Marina. We're going to keep it in a high and dry in a Marina because we get to share costs. It's going to be way cheaper. So what are you getting? I know a bit about jet skis. Uh, so I don't know yet. There's almost nothing in stock here. 
Um, Did he get a Yamaha? Yeah, there's none in stock here. We got to wait like four to six weeks, and we're both impatient mm. now that we've decided mm. to do this. Are you getting a Sea-Doo or something? Um, there's a Sea-Doo Wake Pro here in stock. <laughs> um, people hate on them though. Why? Um, it's it's kind of hard because um, I think it's more the the type of people who buy Sea-Doo's back in Sydney. They're they're not water people. They're just people who are going out for the leisurely drive up and down the coast. I think those Cedars have, well, I think most of the skis these days have like those built-in boom boxes and they're just like, um, yeah, I don't know. Like all, all just the, 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 the people, the proper watermen back home and Yamahas and everyone says Yamaha. I think it's just a little bit like, uh, um, like, you know, Toyota, like everyone's like, you're buying it for the motor. You know what I mean? You're buying it for its longevity. Um, I'm an advocate for them. I've had three Yamahas and like, um, all of mine have been fine. Like all I, all you have to do is like change the oil, change the oil filter and change the spark pods occasionally. And just the biggest thing, Eric, with the skis is to ride them. So the best thing that you've done is go halves in a mate, because you know, if you're not, I'm sure that you guys will be using it together, but even if you're not using it together is to just run it. Yeah. You need to like, uh, I've been lucky. Like, uh, like I do like through winter, we go toe surfing. Uh, I go spear fishing off my jet ski. I go foiling nonstop off it now. And then like when I'm not using it, Jeremy, like what, while I'm away over in America right now, Jeremy's using it with his, his mate back home. So the worst thing it can do is just sit in the garage for two months and not even get kicked over. Cause that's when they start season up and the battery runs dead and all problems start, ha- start happening. So yeah. Well, um, I might pick your brain on that more in the future, but, but here's what, here's what I want to dive into real quick. And thank you. Um, so I have had, it's probably seven or eight years ago. I gave a lot of thought to, it was right when I first discovered kind of what flow states were. I was reading Mihaly Chicks and Mihaly and thinking about these sports that we love. And then thinking about, cause I was doing some coaching at the same time and this difference in fear and risk. I think a lot of people don't separate the difference between fear and risk. And there are very real difference. You can have someone who is terrified of a situation, but at very low risk. And you have other people that are completely just blind to, to the amount of risk they're in. So they don't feel any fear. And as we think about big wave surfing, some of the spots that you are putting yourself into, and maybe you're not fearful, but you're in a lot of risk. And the, I guess, as a waterman, as someone who defines themselves as a surfer, like those are the places that you need to put yourself to get the the feelings, you know, what you're searching for. But there are other areas in life where other activities where you could have probably the same deep moments, consciousness moments at much lower risk. Um, have you thought about that, like fear and risk, and then also kind of as you become better at a sport, like say big wave surfing or skydiving or you know, any of these like huge adrenaline sports, 
Um, is there a point in time when you realize I am now, I am now acquiring too much risk for the state that I might be able to get in another area at less of a cost? Mm, that's very good. Very good analysis. Um, one of the, okay. So the, the thing that actually can send my heart rate up without me even moving, it's just a thought is public speaking. Like that is by far the scariest thing. Like I was even shitting myself. I that there's really thousands of people listening to this podcast, Josh. You're public- yeah, no, I just, <laughs> I, I know. And, 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 and like, I just went into like, my girlfriend just woke up before and I went into the bedroom just before and I go, I'm shitting myself. Like, I don't, I don't know why. Like I talk to you like every second day on the Instagram uh, chat, but like, um, for me, like, yeah. I don't know. It's just this, maybe it's got like a deeper meaning. Maybe like I I care too much of what people think about me and it's just like an anxiety or something, but for sure, like public speaking is like, um, something that can just raise my heart rate just at the thought of it. It's insane. But going back to your question, um, the, I, yes, like you, you need to expose yourself to these fears, um, whether it's just little baby steps at a time. Um, the one thing that I've definitely learned from foiling is that you can't look at every time that you fail as a failure. It's something that you've learned. Um, whereas where I've definitely tried to take on more of these, uh, situations like, like this, like public, yeah, I guess this is not so much public speaking. I'm talking to my laptop, but like, um, like just doing little things like that to kind of break down those, those kind of, those fears that you create mentally. And that's all it is. It's just something that like, you've just worked up in your mind, like a, a perfect, a perfect example. And something I think everyone can relate to is the fear of sharks. Like people think as soon as you hop in the water, there's going to be a shark around where in reality, that's like, so far from the truth. Like as, as a spear fisherman, I can hop in the water and I can tell people like, I will gar- I can pretty much guarantee you, you will not see a shark. Like I go, I, I dive here like every afternoon and you know, I'll be stoked if I see a shark because it's just like our fisheries are like, so, you know, exhausted. So it's something that mentally you need to prepare. And that's where I, have definitely jumped on like a bit of a train where I'm trying to toughen myself up mentally, whether it's uh, like perfect example is I, I have a cold shower every morning. Just the thought of hopping in the shower, the first thing you do when you wake up is shit. You don't want to do it. Who, who, who enjoys hopping in a cold shower? But like I know after you get out of it, the the feelings that you you acquire like you feel it's better than drinking a coffee you when i'm in the shower i do my breathing exercises so it kind of preps me up for the day um it's all yeah it's all like this mental training and like i find uh especially like going back to the the downwind stuff like it's all mental like you start off in a group and if you're the last to get up the the emotions that you feel because you're the last to go and then you 
start making mistakes because you're putting extra pressure on yourself is to try and it's just like with anything in life, it's trying to keep calm and like, you're not going to make a shit decision when you're calm. You're going to make a terrible decision when you're panicking. Like that's just, it's just how it goes. So it's, it's preparing yourself. And I say this to friends, like I have a friend the other day, um, who I grew up with, who's like, you know, wanting to get into, you know, chasing bigger waves and putting himself out there a bit more. And, um, it's, I told him it's about preparation. I go, there's the ocean allows you to get in these situations a very, very small amount of times a year. So you need to have all your different boards ready to go. You've paddled on them. You've taken them out smaller days just to see how they feel, what fins work in them. This, this is the same with like uh, your foil gear or whatever, just knowing your gear. It's also being uh, prepared in terms of having your, your diet good. You don't want to go out uh, on a, a big downwind or, or chasing huge waves when you've gone out the night before and you've got fuck all sleep and you're, you've eaten shit and you feel like shit and then you just know like, mentally that you're not in shape you probably shouldn't be here and then that's enough to crumble your whole like your whole self down um these are all little such simple steps that people overcomplicate sometimes so a perfect example is like um you know that that big wave that i was talking about uh, earlier uh, at the start um when I know that wave's on and there's potential that it can be on and you probably know yourself, like a lot of times things don't work out, you know, the weather we can't control, but if it does look like it's going to be on, I'll make sure I'll get a really good sleep that night, even though it's really hard to sleep when, you know, there's going to be a big swell tomorrow. I'll prep the night before and try eat a healthy, like some carbs, uh, some salad, drink a lot of water. I'll wake up in the morning and this is something that Greg Long taught me. Um, I won't drink coffee that morning. Not that I'm a huge coffee drinker, but I feel like coffee a lot of the time, you probably know, like it, it makes you a little bit antsy. Like, um, and that's something that I don't want to feel when I'm already scared. Like I, I love doing all this, but it doesn't mean that I'm not scared. Like I'm definitely scared. I just, I more think of the reward. Like, um, the feeling and the accomplishment that you're going to get after you complete that. And that is the same for all this up downwinding is like that feeling when I step back on land and I made it one meter further than what I did last time or, or one minute faster. Like that's enough for me to be like, fuck yeah, I'm progressing. So, um, it's all about preparation and like giving yourself every chance that you can in your like, however you can control it because if you don't do that you're already giving yourself a handicap i love that i feel like downwinding is an adventure i love that i love when i'm paddling out you don't know how it's going to go you don't know what you're going to see you have a place that you want to get to um but it, it's somewhat up to you and somewhat up to conditions and and 
yeah, when you and to, and to embrace that journey. I love like, it. You yeah. know, if you if you fall on a journey and then you see a big dorsal fin swim past, <laughs> you just gotta be like, shit, I'm out here by myself and there's no one gonna help me in a long time. Like, and then like and then and then getting back up on foil when you paddle and you're like, whoa, I did it again. How good's this? Like, yeah. Yep. It's uh, definitely um downwind foiling has taught me to be present. It's one thing that like I'm sure a lot of people don't know how to be these days because I'm I think we're all guilty of it is we're always trying to see what we can do in the future or we're we're reflecting on the shit thing that we did the day before or the thing at work that pissed us off. And then I think when you're when you're out there and you finally got up on foil and finally your heart rates come back down because you're so excited that you just got up on foil and you're starting to read the bumps and you, it feels like it's all going in sync. That's being present. And I think a lot of people and, and you yourself like have been like, uh, tell me about flow state or whatever. And flow state is just being present. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us can't do that these days. And I've, I've read a lot about people like, you know, um, it's it's so hard for someone to just sit at a bus stop and wait for a bus and just sit there and watch. You'll watch like you'll see old grannies and stuff do it because they don't have a phone, but like no one does that anymore. We feel every second of our day from some sort of media or something to distract us from just looking and seeing, you know, a bird fly past or a bee land on a tree or like and. I think that's why like when you go to more third world countries and you see how happy people are that uh, don't have too much is because they're just being present. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I love it, Josh. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, this has been fun. Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed it. I can't believe it went so quick. I was like ready for like, the uh like foil questions and i was like have we even been talking about flailing? <laughs> i have to do it again because there's a whole lot of other stuff that we could dive into maybe in a couple yeah. of months we hop back on yeah yeah um i would like to say just before uh we bounce um i'm super appreciative of all my sponsors unifoil has looked after me now um amos has been hooking me with boards uh Kali leash roy absolute legend uh, the foil shop over here in Seal Beach, they've been looking after us, and the WSS boards back in Sydney. Um, really like to thank all that. All these guys have been making my foil journey just that little bit more easy, and I love their gear, and, yeah, they're, they're awesome people. I love it. What do you want to leave folks with? Words of wisdom from Josh Koo. Words of wisdom. Um, okay. Remember how intimidating it was to get into foiling? Uh, I don't know if it was for you, but like like that, how I was telling you how I had no idea what to buy and Jeremy wrote down on a pen and paper and I brought it to the shop. So just remember that when you have people like who are getting into it, give them time. You know what I mean? I still get like, and I, I love it. Like the, this foil community is awesome and I get people hitting me up and I'm no guru, but I've just, you know, I've had experience. So... I'm more than happy to help more more than happy to help people out who have gear questions or they're getting into it or they don't know what to buy. Um, 
just give them time because like, you know what I mean? Like everyone's saying that this is the golden age of foiling and, um, and I don't want it to turn into surfing. That's the reason why I pretty much don't surf anymore is because I feel like the culture in surfing really sucks. And I really like foiling at the moment because everyone's super inclusive. Everyone's super stoked when you just fly past them. Like who, when you surf past someone who goes you anymore, no one does. When you go foiling, everyone's like, you. So, um, just like help the new guys out. Um, and then I've also noticed lately on a couple of the group chats, uh, some people just, uh, just hating maybe on other people that maybe don't like foiling. I think we need to not fight that hate with like more hate. I think we just need to kind of, um, yeah, we need to find like a medium ground and just be respectful. So yeah, just mutual respect for everyone and no hate. There's no need for that. I love it. Josh. Thank you for your time. This has been amazing. Thanks, Eric. This is the Progression Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonson.